Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening, and welcome to a nice cup of history. It's been a couple of weeks since our last podcast. We can only apologise for this. How bad? Uh, we weren't as organised as we possibly could have been, and we let social life, Carrie completing a master's, and a five-day hen party trip to Magaluf come between us and you, our lovely listeners. And for this, we sincerely apologise from the bottom of our very tanned hearts. Uh, we can't promise it won't happen again, because at some point it might. We have become kind of popular people somehow. How did that happen? I literally have no idea. <laughs> it's like unexpected but, social life. <laughs> right? Um, but we should probably record some, you know, backups in case we can't make it one week. But yeah. that's on us and, and not you guys. Bit of a tangent there. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, to today's podcast... Um, We're going across the pond today to a country we haven't really covered before, um, China. And we're staying in the country, albeit a later period for this week's ridiculous death, as um, we discover the problems of getting very drunk and trying to hug the moon. Um, So, for 3,000 years, China was ruled over by dynasties, 13 to be exact. The Xia dynasty, Shang dynasty, Zhu dynasty, Qin dynasty, Han dynasty... Six dynasties. When China, this was when China wasn't united. There was a North and South China. So six smaller dynasties ruled for three and a half centuries. Yep. The Xu dynasty, Tang dynasty, five dynasties. Again, as before, five dynasties ruled northern China for only a period of 53 years. Yep. The Song dynasty, Yuan dynasty, Ming dynasty, those of the Great Pottery, and lastly the Qing dynasty. There is literally not enough hours in the day to talk about all 13 in one go. So this week we're going to start at the beginning and discuss the Xia dynasty. We do need to include a massive, in like big capital letters, exclamation marks, everything, a disclaimer at this point. disclaimer. Uh, With regards to the names of pretty much anything, um, you will know that I, Emily, am not that great at pronunciation. Are you not? No, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so Carrie will be taking over on a lot of them. And if we do say something wrong, we don't mean any offence whatsoever. Not even remotely. So, um, before we get into the Xia dynasty, a tiny bit of background as to the life in China before the Xia dynasty. Um, Chinese legend tells the story of the rulers before the Xia dynasty. Woo. The first rulers of China were, the no- were known as the Three Sovereigns. Um, they had godlike powers and helped to, cre- to create humanity. Um, they also invented things like hunting, fishing, writing, medicine and farming. After the Three Sovereigns came the Five Emperors, and the Five Emperors ruled until the beginning of the Xia Dynasty. Xia Dynasty is considered to be the first dynasty in ancient China, which lasted for almost 500 years, so circa 2070 to 1600 BCE, or BC, um, including the rule of 17 emperors. This dynasty was set up by Yu the Great under the system of choosing emperors based on their abilities. Such a system was called abdication system. After his death, his son Qi took over the throne by breaking the abdication system, and it was from that time on um, that the abdication system gave way to the hereditary system. The Jia dynasty has been regarded as a mythical construct of later Chinese historians until excavations in the late 20th century uncovered historical sites which corresponded to descriptions in a lot of earlier historians' accounts. The Jia are said to have been overthrown by the Shang dynasty, which is more historically certain governmental entity, 
which was in turn overthrown by the Chu dynasty. The argument claiming the Xia dynasty is a mythological construct claims that the Zhu and later later dynasties that followed wanted to make clear that previous ones lost their right to rule through immoral conduct and so created a proto-dynasty, the Jia, as a prehistoric model for this. There are accounts throughout all of history across the globe that have tried to paint previous rulers in a negative light. For example, Shakespeare, which is I love him, is said to have fabricated a lot of his plays to make anyone who wasn't Tudor be slightly less entitled. Not mentioning any names, Richard III. Mm-hmm. Um, many scholars today still believe that the Jia dynasty is a myth, but seem to be at a loss to explain why the physical evidence uncovered argues against their claims. Those who believe the Xia dynasty was a real dynasty are at an equal disadvantage in that none of the sites uncovered so far positively identify themselves as belonging to the Xia dynasty and could easily be interpreted as early Shang dynasty buildings. So it's kind of, maybe, maybe not. There's, there's no concrete evidence, yes or no. No. Um, according to historians, there was once a great ruler named Huang Ti better known as the Yellow Emperor, who emerged from the tribal system of prehistoric China to rule the region of Shandong between... 2697, wasn't it? That always confuses me, because obviously (laughs) BC, everything is backwards. It's a countdown, isn't it? Yeah, just, I'm trying. (laughs) Okay, so it's it's 2697 to 2597, so 100 years. Is that all? Yeah. Why does it seem so confusing? I don't know. (sighs) Anyway, uh, the Yellow Emperor created Chinese culture and established a form of government which would last for centuries. Um, He is credited with inventing musical instruments, developing the production of silk, instituting law and customs, and the development of medicine and agriculture. Um, Upon his death, he was buried in... Huangling County, Shanxi Province. In the mausoleum, which is today a popular tourist attraction. Huangti was succeeded by his grandson, Shanshu, one of the famous five emperors who founded the Xia tribe. After defeating the rivals, the Xia established the first dynasty in China under the leadership of Emperor Yao. Yao ordered great palaces to be built and small villages of huts grew into the urban centres. He is considered a great philosopher, king, who ruled his people wisely and worked in their best interests following the teachings of... Huang Ti? Yep. Ah, look at me. Cool. During his reign, Yao had a serious problem controlling the flooding of the Yellow River, which disrupted agriculture as well as drowning or relocating his people. It's probably slightly more important than disrupting the the agriculture. You know, I mean, yeah, agriculture feeds the people, but if there's no people to feed... It's all a bit crap, really. now that goes wrong it's all a bit crap really (laughs) yep so because of this flooding yao appointed a man named gun who is revered as a demigod in many accounts of this story um to take care of the situation gun tried for nine years to stop the flooding but every year the waters grew stronger and more lands were covered meaning that more people were also killed finally gun constructed a series of dikes which he hoped would hold back the water but these dikes collapsed causing further destruction and, yeah, death. Sorry, I've just got James Bay hold back the river in my head now. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> are, we, are we done? Yeah, we're done. Cool. Um, Yao had relinquished rule by this point to his successor, Yu Shun, 
who was not pleased at Gunn's failure to control the waters. I mean, he'd had nine years to try. Nine years to try, and all he did was just basically decimate the population and drown all the rice fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so, and according to um, some versions of the tale, um, Gunn then killed himself. While, according to others, he was imprisoned by Yushan, and still other report, others report that he exiled himself to the mountains. But he went. Yeah. And in any which way, he's out of the picture. Yeah, and after he was gone, Empress Shun appointed Gun's son, Yu, to complete the work and stop the flooding. Sorry, can I just take a second to appreciate the fact that you said Empress Shun appointed Gun's son in one go? Shun and Gun's son. Well done, I'm proud. <laughs> I literally, if I, don't, if I don't think about it and just say it without thinking, oh my god, there's a word going to come up, I'm going to get it wrong and I'm going to offend a load of people, I might say things alright. Yeah, you, you can do this, you got this, you got this. So, thanks, friend. You're welcome. Yu, cleverly, learned from his father's mistakes. Gunn had tried to do too much by himself. Um, he'd underestimated his need for help and had overestimated his own abilities. I mean, if he thought he was a demigod. But also, like most men. Oh! oh! I women power. Oh. <laughs> um, he'd also acted without respect for the forces of nature and had worked against the water instead of working with it. I mean, seriously, Rukiera. You enlisted the aid of the surrounding tribes and had them construct canals which would work with the water to lead it out towards its own kind in the sea. This project lasted 13 years and Yu was so dedicated to his task that he never visited home once, even though he passed by it three times in his work. Yu's wife and young son would call out to him as he passed and his colleagues would encourage him to go home for a rest, but Yu would not abandon his task until it was completed. That's dedication to the cause, isn't it? It is, it really is. He claimed that there were many who were homeless, who had lost their own wives and children to the flooding, and he didn't feel he should rest until the problem was solved. Very noble. Aww. Yeah. Um, his single-mindedness and dedication to his work inspired those around him who looked up to him as a role model and worked harder until the waters of the river were contained and there were no more floods. There are obviously more traditional stories with regards to use. Um sacrifices. Yeah, um, traditional stories say that you sacrificed a great deal of his body to control the floods. For example, his hands were said to be thickly calloused and his feet were completely covered with callous. In one common story, you had only been married for four days when he was given the task of fighting the flood. He said goodbye to his wife, saying that he didn't know when he would return. During the 13 years of flooding, as we said before, he passed by his own family doorstep three times, but each time he did not return inside his own home. The first time he passed, he heard that his wife was in labour. Very effective four days. Right. <laughs> Sorry. The second, time, <laughs> the second time he passed by, his son could already call out to his father. His family urged him to return home, but he said it was impossible as the flood was still going on. The third time Yu was passing by, his son was older than ten years old. Each time, Yu refused to go in the door, saying that as the flood was rendering countless numbers of people homeless, he couldn't rest. You also supposedly killed Gong Gong's minister, Shang Lui, which was a nine-headed snake monster. Because, why not? I mean, that's, like, a little bit of the most ridiculous part of the story, I would say. Like, I get him wanting to leave his family and to do this noble cause. Oh, but, oh yeah, he killed a nine-headed snake. Yeah. Just just to make things a little bit more awesome than they (laughs) already were, considering, you know, his dedication. Right. Um, once the water problem had been solved, Shun was very proud of Yu and placed him in command of his army. I'm not 100% sure being able to build canals make you a perfect fit to run an entire army, 
But but there you go. Um, but you, killing a nine-headed snake monster would. It would. Yes, there we go. But I don't even know what, you know, running an entire army... I don't know how many times you go up against a nine-headed snake monster. I don't know, I'm not really sure about, like, the uh, cryptozoology of ancient China. No. I <laughs> <laughs> <With> there's dragons. <laughs> right. Anyway, um, so when he was in charge of the army, you led his men um, against the Sang Miao. Yeah. A tribe hostile to the Xia... No, that was wrong. No, that was close. Was it? Yeah, the X makes like a sh sound. Oh, okay. A tribe hostile to the Shah who continuously raided their borders. But it's the English word you trip on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate <laughs> me. <sighs> um, you led his men against the Samuel, a tribe hostile to the Shah who continuously raided their borders. Um, he defeated the Samuel and drove them from the land. And as a reward for his victories, Shun declared him heir to the throne. Because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he obviously was doing well with the army. Right. Um, Yu's rule is considered the beginning of the Shah dynasty. And he is known as Yu the Great. Not only for his victories over the Flood and the San Miao, but for the establishment of the stable central government and the organisation of the country into nine provinces that, to make governing such a, an enormous area more manageable. Very clever. Right, I mean, he, he, he made sense. You did um, good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was trying to bolster him. I just sounded like someone speaking very bad English. You did good. You um, ruled for 45 years, and on his deathbed, he named his son, Chi, as his successor. Chi had been a young boy during the time of the Great Flood, you know, the boy he never went to see. Yep. Um, and many people loved him for the story of how his father had refused to return home until the flooding had been stopped, and how young Chi bore his father's absence so well. Yu had intended to name his minister as successor, not wishing his son to have the burden of rule, but so many people favoured Chi that Yu felt that he had no choice. Um, in naming Chi his successor, you initiated the policy of dynastic succession. Uh, this dynastic succession policy meant that Qi's son, Tai Kang, took the throne after the death of his father. In all aspects, Tai Chong, Tai Kang, I tried. You tried. You did try. Um, so in all aspects, he was a really poor ruler. Um, but many of his successors were highly skilled, and numerous inventions and innovations are attributed to the later Qi dynasty, such as the development of armour in warfare and rules of chivalry in battle. Um, the fourth ruler, after Qi, was the great hero, Shao Kang, who revitalised the country and is well known through the many legends which tells his tales. The Chai dynasty began to decline under the rule of Kongxia, circa 1789 to 1758 BC. Um, he cared more for strong drink than the responsibilities of rule. Yeah, every dynasty's got one. The English dynasty have many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do say no one drinks like the Brits. Except maybe the Irish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> At this point, though, Ireland was all part of it. That's true. Mm, well, no. Mm, yeah. We'll get onto that at a later date. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was then succeeded by... Dal. He was succeeded by... Far neither of whom did a great deal to improve the lives of anyone but themselves. So the last emperor of the Chai dynasty was Emperor Qi, 
who ruled from 1728 to 1675 BC. He was a tyrannical emperor. Um, he lived an extravagant life with no thought for his country. He killed many of his ministers who came up with any good advice. Because that, oh, okay. that makes yep. all of the sense. Um, all his actions enraged the people and therefore they finally became um, followers of leader Tang, who was the chief of the Shang tribe, which later on set up. Shut up. You like from Which later on set up the Shang dynasty by throwing away the Zha. Not much of what we've spoken about so far was considered mythology from the 1920s um, common era or AD until the mid-1960s when archaeological evidence began to emerge to corroborate the tales of the historians. Even today, the general consensus among historians is that the history of the Xia dynasty is largely mythological even if such a dynasty did actually exist. The scepticism grew because there was no, uh, there were no, sorry, early accounts of the Xia dynasty, and because no physical evidence argued for its existence. The paucity of written evidence and the time gap between the supposed time of the Xia and the first written references to it have meant that the historicity of the Xia dynasty itself and the traditional narrative of its history are at best uncertain. That's a cool phrase to say. Heuristicity. Heuristicity of the Shah dynasty. It sounds like the toxicity of this. Sorry, I just went system of a down. That's what's happening. Never mind. Okay. Right. So <laughs> James Bay and system of a down. That's real music writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, the skeptical school of early Chinese history, started by Gu Gu Zhigang. Sorry, if I got that wrong. In the 1920s, it was the first group of scholars within China to systematically question the traditional story of its early history. By critically examining the development of the narrative of early Chinese history throughout history, Gu concluded the later the time, the longer the legendary period of earlier history. Early Chinese history is a tale told and retold for generations during which new elements were added to the front end. I mean, that sort of makes sense because if you're not 100% certain what happens, it's going to get embellished over time, mm. especially through propaganda and everything. Um, some historians have suggested that the Zhu rulers invented the Xia as a pretext to justify their conquest of the Shang by noting that just as the Shang had planted the Xia, they had supplanted the Shang. The existence of the Xia remains unproven, despite efforts by Chinese archaeologists to link them with the Bronze Age early to culture. There are scholars that also argue that Shang remnants still existed during the early Zhu dynasty. Zhu rulers couldn't simply justify their succession to pacify Shang remnants, if it's entirely fabricated, since they wouldn't believe it in the first place. For example, the powerful Song kingdom during the Zhu dynasty was a direct descendant of the Shang people. During the later Song dynasty, which was 960 to 1279 AD, an ancient bronze artefact, Shu Yichong, was unearthed with an inscription describing the founder of the Shang dynasty, Tang, overthrowing the Xia dynasty. The owner of this artefact, Shu Yi, a high officer in the Qi Kingdom during spring and autumn period from 600 BC was actually a direct descendant of Song Kingdom's kings, which means he himself was a descendant of the Shang people. This bronze artefact was used to memorialise his Shang ancestors. This inscription contradicts the hypothesis that the Zhu dynasty manufactured the existence of the Xia dynasty. Although the Shang oracle bone inscriptions contain no mention of the Xia, some scholars have suggested that polities they mention might be remnants of the Xia. Gu Muru suggests that an enemy state called Tufang state mentioned in many inscriptions might be identified with the Xia. The historian Sheng Changyun pointed to four inscriptions mentioning Qi, 
the same name as the Shu era state of Qi, which according to traditional accounts was established by the defeated royal house of Cha. Well done, Carrie. Thank you. That was that was a bit of a mouthful, but I, I thought it, it kind of all made sense. I, I hope it did. I understood it, and if it, I understood it, you know. Woo! Victory! <laughs> Um, we have mentioned before um, that archaeologists have begun to discover things actually corroborate what has previously been thought to be myth. Um, okay. They have uncovered uncovered. They've uncovered. uncovered. <laughs> uh, they have uncovered urban sites, like you said, bronze implements and tombs that point to the possible existence of the Xia Dynasty at locations cited in ancient Chinese historical texts. Um, they there exists a debate as to whether or not the early tomb culture was the site of the Cha dynasty. Um, radiocarbon dating places the site at around 2100 to 1800 BC, providing physical evidence of the existence of state contemporaneous? That means like in contemporary at the, at the same time as. Not fun to have around. I have my uses. And um, possibly equivalent to the Cha dynasty as described in Chinese historical works. In 1959, a site located in the city of Yanxi was excavated containing large palaces that some archaeologists have, con- have attributed to the capital of the Sha dynasty. Through the 1960s and 1970s, archaeologists have uncovered urban sites, more bronze implements and more tombs in the same locations cited in ancient Chinese historical texts regarding the Sha. At a minimum, the era traditionally denoted as the Tar Dynasty marked an evolutionary stage between the late Neolithic cultures and the urban civilization. Urban civil. Oh my god! <laughs> oh. Do you mean to say civilization, dear? <laughs> Apparently. Maybe. I think I'm losing it today. <laughs> oh, I've lost my flow because we haven't done it for a few weeks. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> Shang Dynasty. Yes. Urban civil- civilization of the Shang Dynasty. <laughs> I can't say civilization. Just as, a, as a site aside, one of the things I've actually learned from doing my masters is it's really interesting that um, when you've got historical texts that cite a location of where something could be, you have to factor in um, like the shifting of the land, especially if it's a certain type of soil or anything, um, movements. Differences in measurements then to now. Also the fact that the people could have been wildly drunk, confused or wrong. So people that say this is in such and such a place, it could actually be like three or four metres to the left or to the right or like a few hundred metres. So by finding what they have found, it's really, really interesting using those historical texts, but it would be a hell of a lot of bloody hard work to get there. So props to the archaeologists. Yeah. As you were. In 2011, Chinese archaeologists uncovered the remains of an imperial-sized palace, dated to about 1700 BC. And that was found at Erlitu in Henan. This further fueled the discussions about the existence of the dynasty. Um, archaeological evidence of a large outburst flood that destroyed the Lagia site on the upper reaches of the Yellow River has also been found and dated to around 1920 BC. Uh, this date is shortly before the rise of the Erlitu culture in the middle of the Yellow River Valley and the Yueshi culture in Shandong. Following the decline of the Longshan culture in North China Plain, 
Um, authors suggest that this flood may have been the basis for the later myth and contributed to the transition of the cultures. Uh, they further argue that the timing is further evidence for the identification of the Shah dynasty with the Alertu culture. However, no evidence of contemporaneous... Contemporaneous? That's not even a word. Of... <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the same time, widespread flooding. In the North China Plain has yet been found. So, um, what do you think? Do you think the Shia dynasty existed? I don't know. I know that this is not helpful, but... It's, it's interesting that there's written evidence. There's, like, from an oral tradition into a written culture, and China were fantastic with calligraphy and writing things down long before a lot of other cultures were. Um, to have that evidence, that record of it there, and then to have, like, the the carvings in the bone and everything and then to find this evidence it kind of it's more leaning towards yeah it was real but at the same time it could have been slightly made up and this could be part of the the shang dynasty and other people are saying that you know the, there was something there before that the shang overtook and they're really bad people and we're the best yeah but i i guess fab i get fabricating certain things like we said going back to shakespeare mm-hmm. he fabricated some truths yeah. Like, Richard III was a real person. He yeah. was a king. Shakespeare just fabricated aspects of his story. Yeah, his It does right. seem quite far-fetched to make up an entire dynasty. Yeah. An entire culture that lasts 500 years. Like, it seems like... So, I would say that it did exist. Mm. I think that's what my gut feeling would be, that it isn't. Yeah, to to have all those, to have that rule for such a period of time, yeah. to have all those different emperors with all their different characters and aspects, their good points and bad points, I mean, it's more something out of a fiction novel to, to make it up, yeah, isn't it? And, you know, th- there'd be no point, really. I'm, I'm going to go on and say that I don't think you defeated a nine-headed snake monster. No, no, I don't think I'm, you did. I might put that one down as an untruth. But... There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dealt with in your philosophies. We don't know. Nine-headed snake monsters might now be extinct, thanks to you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you without the O. I know, I was just trying to make it funny. So what do you reckon, Carrie? Do you think it existed then? I think it did. And I think there's just a wealth of evidence out there that we're still waiting to find. And I think it, it was... it was It's later been named as Shah, but it might have been an early version of the Shang that then, like, mutated into the Shang, but I do think they existed. Agreed. Let us know what you think. So, where do we go now? Now is for this week's Ridiculous Death. We need need Mm. some music behind there, Carol. We need to think about this. Blum, 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 blah-da-dum, dun, dun. Sounds like the noise that, you know, they made between (laughs) them walking by. (laughs) So the fat person with the tube. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to make it sound ridiculous. I just made it offensive. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. Ridiculous death. Um, We're staying in China. But we're going slightly later on to the Tang Dynasty. This is where we meet Li Bai, a poet who lived between 701... 762 CE. He's also known as Li Bo or Tai Bai. He was a romantic poet who is very famous to this day. Um, he and a friend, Du Fu, were two of the greatest poets of the Tang Dynasty. Um, he was so good, in fact, that his poetry was known as one of the Three Wonders. 
The other two being the sword play of Pi Min and the calligraphy of Zhang Zhu. Oh, you did it! Yeah, so proud. Didn't even practice. Um, he has about a thousand poems to his name, and his poetry is translated and spread across Europe in the 1700s. And his works still appear in Chinese school textbooks today. Uh, a lot of his work um, was based on the world around him. Um, his friends, his family, places he went, current events, blah, 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 blah. So it wasn't all just metaphors born from his imagination, although there were some of that too. Um, he was part of a golden age for art and poetry. But then there was a rebellion led by General An Lushan, uh, causing war and famine to decimate and devastate the north of China. Uh, Li's poetry changed to reflect these new and tumultuous times, but he didn't live to see the end of the troubles. His poetry still survives on to this day, as we said before, and has been translated into many languages. In fact, Carrie has some of it here. Indeed I have. This one is called Quiet Night Thought, and I'll be reading it in English, I'm afraid. I did try and read it in Mandarin earlier, and from M's facial expression we decided English was better. Um, it is short, so I'll try and make it dramatic. You ready? <clears throat> Go. Moonlight before my bed. Perhaps frost on the ground. Lift my head and see the moon. Lower my head and I miss home. Wow. Yeah. That's deep, man. Yeah. Deep. As beautiful as that was, we're actually here to talk about his ridiculous death. Now this, like much of the Shah dynasty, it's shrouded in myth and it is believed the truth is that he may have died of natural causes at home. Boring. However, we prefer the more ridiculous version of this story. Yay! Sorry, I just slapped my legs there really <laughs> Uh, Levi got drunk one night, very drunk, I mean steaming drunk, almost us in Magaluf drunk. Ooh, that is not good. <laughs> <laughs> he decided it would be a good idea to take a boat out on the Yangtze River. I mean, who wouldn't? Everything yep. seems like a fab idea when you're drunk. Yep. So, Levi was drifting along in his boat, waxing political, looking at the stars and the sky and the river below. At this point, he spots the reflection of the moon in the water. He thinks this is beautiful. He's like overcome with emotion how beautiful this moon looked in the river. So beautiful, in fact, that he absolutely had to hold it. Great idea. So he reaches in and he tries to embrace this beautiful moon. Only he's very drunk, remember. So in an effort to give the lovely moon a hug, Li Bai falls into the Yangtze River and drowns. Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to think that his last thoughts were, this is wet. And then that's it. I mean, seriously, why would, why would you try and hug a reflection? He was drunk, we've been through this. Yeah, yeah, he was, this is true. So that's how China's most eminent poet faded away by trying to hug the moon. In a river. When drunk. We will leave you with that. And um, as always, check us out on any of our social media. It has all been changed now, except for Facebook. We're still having issues. Yep. Uh, but we are... At Cup of History on Instagram and Twitter. And on Facebook, we're still forward slash Tarpus History. Facebook is still being difficult, but we're hoping to change that. Yep. Um, we do also still have our blog site on WordPress, which is also Tarbis History. That's still Tarbis. I haven't got around to changing that yet, don't judge me. 
We're going to go now. Carrie may be here next week. Have a lovely week and we will speak to you next Tuesday. Right, you get the wine, I'll get the pedalo. Ha! <laughs> we were actually on a pedalo this time last week. This is true, this is true. But the wine came later. Tangent again. Bye! Bye. <laughs>